0: And that blend of calm, firm, non-controlling is the essence of my writings. It's the essence of my mindset. And the benefit of being calm, firm, and non-controlling is that it will help me bypass not only my adult child's emotional reactivity, but my own as well.
1: everyone. I'm Denise Gorant. Welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Thanks for joining us as we speak with experts, authors, parents, and even young adults to explore the transition from parenting our young children to building healthy relationships with our now adults. Hopefully, we'll grow together, learn about ourselves, our young adults, and of course, when to bite our tongues. We are so happy you're with us. So let's get started. everyone and welcome to another episode of bite your tongue the podcast today we're talking about well a little bit of everything with a clinical psychologist and author who's an expert in so many of the topics we all want to know about think of this episode as a catch-all for many of the concerns issues and questions many of us are having in building healthy relationships with our adult children and because of this we're going to try something new this is going to be your chance to really join the conversation. Let us know your thoughts and experiences and offer any advice you may have and want to share. After the episode, check our episode notes or social media, and we will give complete instructions how to download an app called Intercast and get started. Now on to today's episode. Today we're chatting with Dr. Jeffrey Bernstein. He's a licensed clinical psychologist and author, who's been helping children, teens, couples, and families for over 30 years. He's the author of several books, including his latest, now coming out in its third edition, called 10 Days to a Less Defiant Child. The articles he has written are numerous, covering so many subjects. And because of this breadth of experience, we thought we'd use this episode to ask Dr. Bernstein many of our listener questions. Welcome, Dr. Bernstein. I know I gave you a short introduction, Do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself, and then we'll get started?
0: Denise, thank you so much. It's nice to meet you, and I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. My interest in adult children is more than academic because I have three, and no matter who we are, when we have children and they grow into being adults, we realize that the whole dynamic of caring about our kids and how much we should lean into them, how much give them their own autonomy and and free space. So it's it's obviously I'm part of the community because I have adult children. And one of the things that has really gone on for me is I've been a psychologist now for 30 plus years. It's even weird as I hear myself say this. I can't believe it. And probably over 40,000 hours, if I added them up, of being in counseling sessions. So many kids that I saw when they were young, have obviously gone on and and so I've really had the benefit of doing, if you will, an informal longitudinal study because a lot of families that have come to see me with children, I've gotten to see them evolve. So my interest really in adult children has come from my work in plain old regular, let's say age four to 18 kids, which I was doing for years and then I've I've been more and more in practice I've gotten to see really a front row seat to sort of what happens to a lot of kids as they get older. I don't claim to know it all. In fact, I know less now. Years ago, I knew everything when I first came out of grad school. It's sort of like, right, the universe. The more you study, the more you realize it's boundless there is to learn. (laughs) What I will tell you is that I started writing blogs, uh, posts on my blog, I should say, for Psychology Today, And as I leaned more into this whole topic of adult children and some of the struggles of adult children, many of them with underlying types of problems such as anxiety or depression or ADHD, diagnosed or not diagnosed, perhaps being on the spectrum or autism or perhaps having some learning disabilities that were never really detected or just parts of the way that they're wired that weren't as compatible with the world as we know it of, quote unquote, the the line to success. I'll call them young adults, adult children who really have had struggles. These parents, as I started writing on this topic, more like around 15 years ago, as I really started branching out into this, more and more inquiries. And so I started doing a lot of coaching sessions. And what I found was astonishing to me that So many of the problems, it's ubiquitous. I mean, I do consults with parents, many within the states. It could be, you know, I'm I'm based out of Philly. It could be California. It could be here in PA, Pennsylvania, East Coast, West Coast, as well as calls from and Zoom, you know, consultations with people in Australia, uh, Ireland, you name it. South Africa, it's just gone on and on. And so many of the problems come down to the parent's struggle of how to best support an adult child that struggles. And they're just feeling so stumped because they're feeling alone in it. They look on Facebook or some of these other social media sites where people show their wonderful families, or they get the holiday letter, the Christmas letter, you know, we had a really rough year, you know. My son was going to be VP for Google, and instead he went to Microsoft. (laughs) And my daughter, yeah, she's struggling because she's disappointed she was going to clerk for a judge in Manhattan, but turns out that she's now gone to San Francisco to to clerk for high-up judge, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it can be a very lonely place. So I see myself as somebody who is a coach for parents of struggling adult children to help empower them problem-solve and not feel so alone in it.
1: Well, and I think you summed it up so well, and it's growing so much. I mean, the kind of response I've been getting too from listeners and that sort of thing. So that's why this is going to be so great. And at the end, we'll also, and in my episode notes, I'll share how to reach you. And you know, it's not always just parents of struggling adult children. I think parents of adult children, and maybe it's our generation, we were so connected and suddenly they're gone. They don't need us. And it's not that they've gone to college. It's when they're really on their own. And you know what? We're no longer their nuclear family. So we have to build our own lives and learn to let go. So anyway, let's get into our questions, okay? You know, you just released the third edition of this book, and I've read through it, 10 Days to a Less Defiant Child. But let's talk about how this relates to adult children. They're not in your house screaming at you like they were when they were 10 years old. But many of our listeners have shared that although they feel like they have a decent relationship with their adult children, the children are quite disrespectful, rarely showing appreciation. How can parents change this dynamic? Um, we're biting our tongues all the time, so we don't say anything politically incorrect. We don't step on their toes, but we might just get, you know, short answers or that's so stupid mom, or why are you doing that? Or, you know, just complete disrespect almost, not all the time, but a lot of the time.
0: I hear you that a lot of times these situations are that our adult children are not living with us, but in some cases, as you are aware, right, they are. So That's true. But what I'm about to say, I really feel applies to each. I just want to come back to one point. You know, you mentioned 10 Days to a Less Defiant Child. The book was really initially designed for kids 4 to 18. But I, in this third edition, truly believe that it pertains to kids parents of children, age four to 44. I agree. Yeah, because the dynamic of some of what you refer to as the self-absorption, right, and that Mm -hmm. kind of egocentric way of going at the world and that limited ability to really, really know outside of their own emotional sort of agenda of how others are feeling, namely their parents, and how sensitive their parents may be to certain things they're saying or doing, is something that we really want to coach. So, the answer I would give you is if there's any takeaway from today, it's when you feel stuck as a parent, shift over to emotion coach lane. And the more that you see yourself as your adult child's emotion coach, even though they're adults. They're still needing to learn and grow. And if, you know, the reality check for that is you look at yourself. I look at myself. I'm 62. I'm still working on learning and growing. So there's nothing wrong with me seeing myself as their coach. I'm not going to say to them, hey, I'm now your coach. It's not, But it's a mindset.
1: What What's an emotion coach? Give me an example of what that means when they come at you with something like, You're always asking me that question. I'm tired of talking about it. How do you
0: respond? Joey, would you agree that if you and I could have a calm and constructive conversation about this, we're probably going to both feel a lot better right now?
1: But you're always judging me. Always judging me. I feel like everything I do isn't good enough.
0: Yeah. You know, Joey, there's a reactive side of me right now that wants to get defensive. I do. But you know what, Joey, me just naming this to you and sounding this out is helping me stay calm because I want to hear what you have to say. It would help me a lot if we can take down the intensity. I'm not dismissing you. I do realize that sometimes I come off judgmental, but I'd really like us to stay in a calm, constructive place because I think it'll help both of us.
1: That sounds good. I think we all need to practice exactly that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so That's What I'm doing there are a couple things. I'm being calm. I'm being firm. You are. But I'm being non-controlling. And that blend of calm, firm, non-controlling is the essence of my writings. It's the essence of my mindset. And the benefit of being calm, firm, and non-controlling is that it will help me bypass not only my adult child's emotional reactivity, but my own as well. So what I'm doing there, think of it like Indianapolis 500. I'm not, I don't know much about racing, but I know that when an adult child is coming at a parent, zoom fast, they're accelerating around that track. The job of the adult parent, if they want to try to really have a calm, constructive conversation, is to stay at 15, 20, maybe 30 miles an hour, not to accelerate and floor it. The problem is you both start going faster and faster around the track, you're going to hit the wall. And we don't want to crash and burn with our kids. We want to be able to keep Uh -uh. a nice pace with them. But if you slow down and you stay with it and you remind yourself while you're doing it that you're now not only their parent, but you're their emotion coach, you're, you're coaching yourself too.
1: And really what you're saying, and I thought about this earlier, is it's the parent's role in the child's behavior. When we rev up, they rev up. So in most cases, what you're saying, I think, so you tell me, is we have some responsibility here and we have to be the adult, the real adult in this picture. Even though our kid might be 35, we have to then take the role of the older adult. Calm down the 15 miles right. an hour rather than 80 miles an hour. Is that what you're saying? Sort of examine our role and what's going on, or is there more to that too?
0: Absolutely. Our role, our pace, our tone, our nonverbals, if we're face to face, even on text messaging, which we know, by the way, is a big one, right? Because, you know, when texts come at us and we feel a little snubbed and we're like, well, what did you mean by that? Or they're like, forget it. And, So we need at any time that we're communicating with our adult children to remember that we have to take responsibility for how we're influencing the vibe, for lack of a better word, the vibe, which is a desired vibe of being calm, firm, and non-controlling. And really, again, that guiding principle is let's coach our adult children to have calm, constructive conversations. Because when you come down to it, what are the two most important skills? Being able to calm yourself down, which now talked about in mental health a lot, regulate your emotions. Mm -hmm. And the second one is problem solve. So every time that you are connecting with your adult child, it's an opportunity to still support them. And just because they're adults doesn't mean they can't use it. And you can't, and you also, you being us as parents, we need to keep working on it too, our own emotional reactivity, managing it.
1: This is kind of a first world problem, but what do you do when there is an issue that you're very concerned about? Possibly the person they're dating or their significant other, and you see it becoming serious or it's something in their job, they're making you feel a, a big mistake in how they're handling something, right. burning a bridge. You know how you always say, don't burn bridges when you leave a job. How do you approach them with something you're really concerned about? Or do you not? Is it none of our business?
0: I think... If you lead with empathy, everything can be, quote unquote, our business.
1: Okay, so lead with empathy on this. So let's play it out.
0: You know, I hear right now that you just got assigned to this new team and I I feel for you. It sounds so disappointing. You initially really connected with your lead and now it sounds like this new person they brought in right after you is ordering you around, if, if I'm hearing that correctly and talking in a condescending way to you. And here you have these hopes and dreams with this new start for yourself. From what I hear you saying, you sound really disappointed and and scared.
1: And I'm going to quit. I'm sick of it. I'm going to quit. I'm going to tell them how I feel. I'm done with this.
0: And you know, if I were you, I, I think I would probably feel that way too. But I also knowing you and knowing how much this means to you and how much I appreciate along the way that you've you, you know, remember that night not long ago when you called me crying, thinking you weren't going to get any job whatsoever. And we talked through that and how you got up the next day and you advocated for yourself and you kept searching and you got this job. Do you remember that part of you? I know that's still in there. And, and I just want to I really want to support you. And there's a part of me right now that wants to give you a lot of advice. But you tell me, would that help you? Or is it best for you right now just to vent?
1: That's a real, I love that line. There's a part of me that wants to give you a lot of advice, but maybe you just, I just, you just want to vent. I really like that a lot. In in that that
0: segment, what I'm doing is I'm coaching. You are. Because I'm saying, I'm trying to manage my own impulsivity and reactivity because I want to rush in and try to fix this for you. But I'm, I'm letting you know that I'm struggling with this. I'm your, I'm your dad. I'm your mom. I'm human. And so Another word that I would really encourage the listeners to hear is collaborative. If you Mm -hmm. think collaborative when you're interacting with your adult child, it's going to, again, help you avoid that adversarial dynamic. Even if they're coming at you with, what did you say? I can't believe you said that. You never listened to me. All you want to do is be right. Mom, you don't understand. It's so different today. People aren't the way you were when you were older, younger. You know that. What kind
1: of <laughs> you got it? <laughs> we sort of approach this, but that real sensitive thing. So many people have written. I really don't like the person my son's going to marry, or my daughter's going to marry. It's a mistake. Mm-hmm. I see the way they interact with each other. Um, she says she's in love. He says she's in love what's my role? Can I say anything? You know, a lot of people say, don't say a word. You'll ostracize your child. Keep it to yourself. Is there a way a parent can approach it or not with empathy?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, one thing that mental health professionals do, and I'm one of them, is that we often go to, it depends. And it can be very frustrating for someone who's asking a valid question, but uh, as much as I don't want to say it, it kind of depends. I mean, I think it depends on the level to which your adult child is coming to you and disclosing some of the concerns that they have about their partner.
1: Well, maybe they're not disclosing anything. You just see it.
0: Right. So if you just see it and there's no disclosures, then I would just step back and I wouldn't rush in because it's just not probably going to go well. I had one client her daughter was dating a guy and, you know, he was really into video games. He just didn't seem to have the persona, if you will, of being able to be a family person because she wanted that. And, you know, she really just listened to her daughter and she was crazy about this guy and they got married and, and you know, he eventually blossomed and he realized for himself that, you know, well, as we're trying to get into an apartment now and to a nicer apartment and find out, you know how it goes with meeting the, dealing with the daily vicissitudes of life and having to stretch to meet certain goals that it all kind of resolved. And, and he had a couple setbacks, but he's now working for a major tech company and you would never know it.
1: So really what you're saying is trust your child. They're smart enough to know, at least in some ways, if the person's good for them. And they know this person much better than we do.
0: And create the emotional safety so that...
1: That they can come
0: to you. That they can come to you. And the way you create that emotional safety is with empathy. And you listen and you try not to be overly directive. Or you check in with them and say, you know, this is new for me. You have someone in your life, Tim or, or Beth, you know, whoever and you know i i want to be respectful i we used to check in a few times a week i know you're a little busier now let's why like why can't parents have a collaborative experience with their adult child and kind of look at the logistics of what they share what they disclose and and check why does it have to be that we have to be in a dark room with bear traps trying to figure it out alone as parents. Now, it's one thing if a parent says to their adult child, I, I'm back on the dating scene and, and I want you to evaluate my prospective partners or what do you think I should do with mom? I'm having an affair and I'm thinking of leaving her or dad or you know what? I mean, you don't want to parentify your child at any age and have inappropriate boundaries. But as far as the dynamic that you have with your child, especially your adult child, why not be open and explore together the best way to give input and to communicate.
1: You're absolutely right. And what you're doing, it seems to me, what other people have mentioned, but you're making it much clearer, is creating a relationship with them rather than a parenting role. You're basically growing into a relationship with them as they become adults. Is that true?
0: Yes, totally. Now, I had one case recently where the father was in here and he was saying that, you know, his 27 year old son turned to him because they were kind of getting loose about some things and talking and the son turned around and said an expletive to his dad seemingly in jest and the dad's like you know please I'm still your dad
1: yes yes and I do that sometimes too with my kids I'm like wait a minute yeah you can say anything you want but I just want respect you may not like me but you got to respect
0: me say what you mean but don't say it meanly kind of
1: yeah exactly so you talked about uh, when you were saying this earlier that we used to be in touch a few times a week. Now you're busy. What is an expectation? So one listener literally asked, how often we should we expect our adult children to call? Sometimes she says, I just try not to call to see if they'll call. Mm-hmm. They start playing that game. She breaks down finally and calls. And also I hear more people text than call. Even in my situation, my kids and I text. We've got a family text, a lot of people do. We don't have as many long calls. What are our expectations and should we feel bad if they aren't calling us? Can we encourage them to call us or should we just forget it and glad they're texting us when they are?
0: Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I have a mom and I'm so grateful that my mom is is with it's with me, you know, she's alive and and I'm grateful to have a really good relationship with her and We have a thing since my dad died. Each morning, she'll send a brief email. But I know that if my mom was the kind of person, and she's not, that said, Jeff, why don't you visit me more often? Or why don't you call me? It would really turn me off, right?
1: That's sort of what I think, yep.
0: Now, I'm at a different stage of life. But if you're talking for people who are in their 50s and 60s, around my age, who have adult children, let's say in their 20s and 30s, I don't think we want to chase our kids and pressure them. I think what we can do is really reinforce gently, you know, I really felt good to have you call me or reach out or, I, you know, this text really helps me understand how things are going at your new job and I know you're really busy. So this means a lot to me. And and you never have to worry about being patronizing if you speak from your heart. All you need, like parents are like, well, I don't want to say that. Maybe they'll think, you know what? Just check in with yourself. If you mean it, you say it. And if your intention is good, That's what's going to come across. Trust yourself as a parent. I do think there's a little bit of less and is more in this day and age because we have so many competing stimuli coming at us with social media and we're just busy and working a lot. But I do think, again, I'll go back to what I said before, check in with your adult child and say, you know, what do you think is a good expectation for both of us? What will work? And then you can always revisit it.
1: No, I love that. I really, really love that because I think that's so true. I remember when I was young and you're in the same age bracket that I'm in, we used to call every Sunday night. That's just the way it was. Right. Remember there were long distance. remember being in a college, the black phone on the door and everyone would line up and we'd call our parents every Sunday night. I many times dreaded that. I loved my parents. But I didn't have that much to say. Right. If we had text and email and stuff, I think sometimes there's almost a closer connection when I'm getting pictures from them on what they're doing that I don't need the 45 minute call because they're sharing things in their life on a regular basis in other ways. Does that make sense?
0: It not only makes sense, I love your point. I don't think we look at that enough as parents. How privy, if there's grandchildren or if our adult children are at, out somewhere at a restaurant or celebrating something, and we get to see a picture that's texted to us, picture is worth a thousand words. That said, let's not minimize the role of our words and the wisdom that we hopefully can pass on. I will tell you that um, my son and I had an agreement. I have three adult children. With my son, we were doing Sunday nights, and we kind of fell off of it just because I think there's so many other ways to communicate, but I know we can go back to that. I will tell you, this is a quick story, that there was a time when I was an adult child in grad school, and I remember those old, you know, pay phones, and I was at State University of New York at Albany on a cold, snowy day, and I went to call my mom because I was really struggling, really vulnerable point in grad school. It was so hard. I was overwhelmed. And I remember grabbing the phone, and the phone sticking to my ear with snowflakes. (laughs) And I called my mother who has always been a great fan of mine. And I was complaining and whining about the schooling and just everything. And I felt this was unfair and that. And and I said, mom, nobody's giving me any positive strokes. And my mother said something to me, just a few words that stuck with me the rest of my life. She said, Jeff, sometimes there comes a time where you have to give yourself your own positive strokes. Mm -hmm. I get goosebumps telling that story. So My message is, as parents, don't underestimate your words and what you have to share, even if you're not speaking as much sometimes.
1: That's so true. And I guess what you just said there, I love your mother. I don't know her, but I love her already. I sometimes didn't share my struggles with my mother. And the reason was she would get so anxious. Yeah. And I'm a little bit like her. And I'm working so hard on allowing them to call me with something that's really not so great in their lives right. and not freaking out. My mother never showed me her freak out, but I could tell, as you said, nonverbally. So what your mother did just sounded so wonderful. It was a perfect way to say, give yourself your own strokes, you deserve it was what she was really right. saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so in your book, you talk about stubborn obstacles. Mm-hmm. I think many times if these aren't identified when they're children and what I'm hearing now from a lot of friends is that depression, particularly for boys, starts to occur in their 20s. So they've gone through all these years with this happy kid or whatever it might be. And also ADHD, the kid might not have identified with this. And suddenly they're young adults, sleep disorders, anxiety, all of these things may not appear until they become young adults. How do parents approach this? Or how do they, or even just health in general? I said to a friend recently, is your son getting, well, does he get a checkup every year? You know, kids in their twenties don't think, "Oh, I need a physical every year." So, how do you bring up these things to your kids? Should you? Should you not? How can you approach these things that might be stubborn obstacles? You see them as stubborn obstacles for them, but they're not identifying them.
0: Yeah, it's it's delicate, and and I have this sign that I get a lot of mileage in in my office, and even on you know Zoom consults with parents of adult children, because it really it goes for any age at any time. You know, is there truly a bona fide struggle? So, this sign, just to describe for your listeners, on, it's like on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, and it says, struggle with on top versus choose not. By the way, it used to say, cannot versus choose not. And I decided that was a little too simplistic, that we all have underlying struggles. And usually, when kids, I'm kind of looking at this saying, when they're like age 10, 11, nine, and down, The world is more likely to see this child who may have an issue, a behavioral issue, and say they're struggling. But one of the challenges with adult children is we tend to just think, well, they're choosing not to take care of themselves. They're choosing not to get up for their classes in college. They're choosing not to go look for a job. And we tend to not see these stubborn obstacles, the underlying anxiety, the depression, right? The obsessive compulsive things that maybe are setting in, the eating disorders, whatever's going on underneath. I think as long as, again, you come back and you say, you know, this is not an easy topic to discuss. I'm concerned about your health right now. And I'm wondering if you can please give me a green light that we can talk about this.
1: Mm, Give me a green light so we can talk about this. I love that.
0: I'm coming from a place of caring and positive intention. And I know within my heart that if I don't bring this up, it's going to bother me. So I'm asking you if you're okay with it, that we can talk. That's terrific. And then I would also probably add a little bit of empathy and positives. You know, I know you're under the grind. I know you're a dual major. And I, and I understand that didn't work out in this relationship you were with, and you just went through a breakup. And my gosh, you're carrying, you're hauling a lot of freight right now. You're carrying a lot. So, this isn't me being critical. I hope you can hear that. Mm -hmm. I I am a little concerned because I know that you just haven't been as active. And you talked to me, if you recall, a month ago that you didn't feel as good about yourself when you were gaining weight. So that's how I would discuss it. I love that. Especially if they've made disclosures, try to pull them from their own playbook and just gently reflect them back. As I'm discussing, I would give them little reinforcers. You know, it feels so good to be able to talk right now. You're, you, know, you, you know, I remember a time in the past where you would cover your ears when you were younger or you would tell me to just, you would say, stop, stop. And we're talking and I'm feeling just really, really proud of how we're able to have a conversation like this as as parent and adult child. Like this is really this really shows a lot about your character that we can talk about this. And again, as long as you're speaking from your heart, it's not patronizing.
1: You're absolutely right. That's so great. So that brings me to when you say, you know, and I think I shared this with you. I read in Atlantic magazine an article by Josh Coleman who's a pretty famous guy that writes on family estrangement. And the part that stood out to me was a paragraph on estrangement Born out of love. Basically, it says that sometimes parental time, dedication, worry, and concern is too much for the adult child to handle. And that's why they're saying, you know what? I can't have this relationship anymore. You're too in my face. You're too worried. You're too concerned. And I can't exist with that kind of pressure. Do you think it's our generation that's created this? Do you think this has gone on for a long time? And how do parents recognize if they are in this role?
0: The first thing I'd say to this is that we're always in relationship. Even if there's an estrangement, there's still a relationship. Emotionally, there's still... The absence of a parent has a great presence.
1: That's true. The absence of a parent has a great
0: presence. You're right. Even if you're not in contact, there's still that sense that somebody helped give me life in this world and I know that person, I may have mixed reviews in the way I look at them. I can tell you this, when I have adult children that I talk to about their parents that they feel don't get certain things or have certain shortcomings, and I'll make this one go each way. I'll tell the adult child that when they're talking to their parent and they're struggling with their parent who they feel is defensive or too intrusive or overbearing, I'll say, when you look at your mom or your dad, Put an L on their forehead, not for loser, but for limitation. Look, your mom gets really worked up when you talk to her. She gets anxiety. Do you think you'd be willing to see your mom as having a bona fide struggle versus being somebody who's just choosing not to listen to you? Yeah. That's where I'll try to encourage the adult child to have a little empathy for their parents because, you know, Look, the only perfect people are in the cemetery, right? (laughs) Like whenever you go to a funeral, that's all you hear about.
1: So funny. Yeah, yeah.
0: So your parents are struggling too. One of my adult children gave me feedback recently that I interrupt a little bit too much and that, um, what else was it? And that I have a need for approval that comes out at times. And I said, you know, this is helpful. You know, there's a part of me that wants to be defensive. It's hard to hear. But thank you.
1: I would be so thrilled if my adult child said that. Yeah. That's that's like best you could ever get when you're in a relationship where you can say, This bothers me a little bit, Dad, or this bothers me, mom. Right.
0: Now at the same time, Denise You
1: said you were gonna give us both sides. Well the other side yeah, is, go to the other side.
0: You know, and I'm holding up my phone right now, the back of it, and I'm showing you a case that happens to have sharp square corners. So what I might say to them is, hey, you know, the feedback's helpful or the way The content of what you're saying, I hear, but I could hear it a lot better if you would round the corners. Could you please? Because it feels a little sharp. You know, I you heard your point, I'm trying to own it, and I feel like there's a lot coming at me, and I want to hear you, but do you think you can take it down or not? Yeah. So
1: well, sometimes I feel like we've been the strength in their life since they've been little. Right. And they see us not as emotional beings a lot of times, that we can handle whatever they say. Because we've always been the ones to sort of pick them up. Does that, does that, that just sort of came out of my head. Yeah. And
0: I, I know there's a bias for me that if my kids call me or you want to, like I drop everything, you know, so Uh, None of them have children yet, but I could see that like if they did and they were dropping everything, like I have to also be accountable for myself. Right. And There was something in your outline that you did such a wonderful outline for this interview. I really appreciate it. And there was one part you had in there. And I'm paraphrasing how much of ourselves should of our being should kind of be connected, if you will, identified through being parents of our adult children. How much should we be, quote unquote, living our own autonomous lives versus having so much of our emotional serenity, if you will, our sense of well-being tied to our children.
1: Yeah, why is that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard, and I I never expected it. I really thought when I was raising my kids that when they turned 18 or at least got through college, I was kind of done. Right. And one of our interviewers said, she had written an article for the New York Times, when they're little, they sit on your lap. When they're big, they sit on your heart.
0: I love it. That's a really wonderful quote.
1: I loved it too. So I want to ask you about one thing. You wrote this book, and I know it was 2009, on liking the children you love.
0: Liking the child you love. Okay.
1: So I think a lot of parents of adult children, they're not sure they like the person this kid has become. What advice can you give to a parent that feels that way about their adult kid?
0: Interestingly, out of all my books, and I've written eight, that one sold the least number, the fewest number of copies. I think parents were so afraid of that lying around, they would (laughs) see at least the hardcover. And even though the cover clearly states liking the child you love, they were very anxious about their kid thinking they don't love them. I mean, what really is clear in that book is we need to give ourselves permission to see our children, our adult children, as having limitations. And I think the more that we can see them as having their L's on their forehead, not for losers, but for having their limitations, the more in check we can keep any feelings of frustration or not liking certain behaviors. So remember, our adult children have limitations. And the more that we can see those limitations, the more we can be empathetic, and the more that our liking will be strong, even though there's some little things we don't like, realizing that we love them.
1: Right. Well, and I think some of it has to do with our generation of thinking, you know, our kid's going to be the prima ballerina or the top of their class. Or, you know, when you grew up, were your parents ever that concerned about your GPA or what your SAT score was? Or? Whereas our generation, even more now, they're wrapped up in things that just seem crazy.
0: I've got the kids that, at high school age that are doing multiple sports, SAT camps. I mean, this club, that club, the business club. I mean, they're overscheduled and they are grinding and grinding. And But a lot of them really want to do it for themselves, too. I hope. as long, Well, and as long as the parents support it. And I always say... One other point I'll make as parents, I think it's good to expose, not impose our value. I love it. Yeah.
1: Okay. I want to talk about boundaries because I don't understand this, to be honest with you. And I read a lot of it in your book and I've read it on other columns. You even wrote an article, I think, about boundaries. What are boundaries? What does it mean? And how do we put them into play with our adult children?
0: Yeah, boundaries sounds like a sharper word. It sounds kind of stringent. It sounds kind of, <laughs> you're yeah, very, very firm to the point of maybe even rigid, but I think I would probably replace the word boundaries now that I'm sounding this out to you, Denise, and just talking right. with a working understanding, whether I, my grammar isn't perfect, a workable or a working. Don't
1: worry about it. This is a conversation. I hear you. Only the perfect people are underground, okay? Right, I love that, yeah.
0: (laughs) Right back to (laughs) me on that, right. Having a workable understanding. I think that if you look at boundaries as, like I was saying before, like how frequent to have contact, what's the expectation? Hey, I need your help. I know you started this new job. You know, we were talking a lot before. I'm getting a sense you're pretty busy. You know, I know now you're seeing... um, Alan and you know I uh, I know that there were some things you weren't sure of. It sounds like you you two have been doing a lot. I'm going to kind of give you a little more space now and and let you come to me for the next few weeks because I'm feeling like I'm I'm really kind of every time I call you or most times it feels like I'm kind of pushing. Is that is that fair that I'm thinking this? So do a check in, ask them, and again have a calm, constructive conversation. So I look at boundaries as really a series of discussions, not something that you just assign and leave on autopilot, but rather an understanding about a certain comfort zone you're trying to have with somebody. Mm -hmm. You asked me while you're looking for a job to stay out of it. And, you know, there's a part of me that feels a little hurt. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Maybe it's coming off, but just sounding that out right now is helping me. Because I don't want to make you feel guilty. I want to give you space. And I realize as I'm talking to you that maybe I was expecting a little bit too much. I mean, I just talked to you last night and you're right. Not much has changed in the last 24 hours since you didn't even have any other interviews. This is really helpful as I talk to you. And so you do it in a collaborative way. You have an adult conversation about, hey, you know, how do we work together? Whatever the content area is. If there's a significant other, again, that's a thorny one. I'm glad you brought that one up. It is a thorny one. If our adult children are with somebody that, you know, we we just don't think are in their best interest, you kind of listen. And, and you may say, you know, when you vent to me about these things that are turning you off, would you like me to just listen? Or would you like some input? So to me, that's a boundary too. But I think it's a collaborative setting of boundaries wherever possible versus unilaterally setting a boundary. Okay, fine. Then I'm just not going to ask you about Tom anymore because every time I ask you about Tom, I feel like you're biting my head off. You kind of say, help me, help me navigate this with you. That's
1: great. Two more things. I'm going to talk about blame and culture blame. First of all, why is it that The mother seems to always get the brunt of it all. It's because of my mother I'm like this. My mother did this to me. Some listeners have even written that their child will say, I really didn't like the way you raised me. I don't think you did a very good job. You hear all the time that young people or even older people go to therapists and say, the first thing they say is, let's talk about your mother. What is this culture blame with mother?
0: First of all, by the way, to any parent who hears from their adult child, you know, I'm not really sure I like the way you raised me. I think a really cool response from the parent would be, well, you know, I'm glad you feel safe with me to be able to share that with me.
1: Yep, that's good.
0: You know, because uh, probably a lot of people stew and they don't and they don't bring it up. You know, they just stew in silence. So I appreciate, you know, it hurts to hear this, but, you know, I appreciate that you're being open with me.
1: Then you're absolutely right. Go ahead. No, you go. I want to talk about mother blame.
0: It's alive and well, and it's amazing how much it is out there. Boy, I don't want to get in trouble for saying this. Do moms sometimes set themselves up for this? Yes. Because there's such a nurturing element. I see it over and over, and I've been doing this for 30-something years, and the kids that come in my office with their parents, I mean, when they're young, they'll snuggle with both parents, But there just seems to be more often than not, there's exceptions to the rule, but more often than not, that as they reach pre-adolescence and adolescence and start lashing out in adult children, that you're right. The moms are getting, I mean, steamrolled. I've seen this over and over. I do think it's probably that the mothers feel very emotionally safe and that more often than not, I can think of so many adult children who have said some vile things to their moms that, you know, they're just so anxious because there's people that they probably want to say these things to because they're frustrated and even themselves. Most of the times when adult children are hurting and they're angry at their mother, in this case, there's a lot of self-hatred and the more, and you know, there's nothing wrong with being assertive, right? Don't have to be passive where you do nothing, you don't want to be aggressive where you trample over them. But assertive is kind of gently saying to them, hey, you know what? Again, I would love to have a calm, constructive conversation with you. I can never have a calm, constructive conversation with you because you don't blank and listen. You know what? There's been times that I could have done a better job listening, but I'm here right now. I'm here right now. And if this isn't the time for you, okay. But I'm I'm learning and growing. I am learning and growing, and I hope we can do this together. You know, you hear how that kind of, you know.
1: Yes, definitely. Is there ever a time you can say, when my kids were little, I used to say that they had to be nice to their teachers, nice to their friends, nice to the bus driver. And I used to say to my kids, if you really need to get stuff out, just warn me that you're using me to get it out. I wonder if when they're adults and they're doing this, like you say, the mom's the safe place. Is there a way to reply and say, am I your safety net right now? Or are you really feeling this? Or is that then telling them you don't really believe what they're saying? You know what I mean? Is there a way to say it that would be appropriate?
0: I'm still here for you more than ever. And I appreciate you talking. At the same time, I think you'll feel better about yourself if you remember that you're talking to your mom right now. And to please be more respectful.
1: Oh, I love that. That's
0: terrific. The idea with that is that you're taking as a coach and you're making a statement to promote their own self-reflection, right? You're making it theirs instead of, don't talk to me that way. Right. I think I think you owe it to yourself to speak in a more respectful way because I think we're both above anything less. Would you agree?
1: Woo. Because your immediate reaction would be, I'm your mother, don't talk to me that way.
0: That's why I was saying, even at the beginning, if you can switch lanes into a motion coach or think of it as a motion regulation coach, either way, the more that you can do that, the less you're going to take it personally, the more they're going to hear you because you're not coming out back to them in a reactive way.
1: Bingo. Okay, we're going to wrap it up. And I always ask my guests to leave us with two or three points that you really want our listeners to take away. And I don't care if you've said it again, you're going to repeat it because so much of what you said is so valuable. I want you to pull out three things or two, whatever you want, that you want our listeners to take
0: away. Lead with empathy. No adult child has ever come into my office and said what really messed up my childhood was that my parents took too much time to really get me and understand where I was coming from. The next point I'd say is be... Calm, firm, and non-controlling. Make sure that when you react to your adult child, that you're not modeling something that you don't feel good about, like having an adult temper tantrum as their parent at this stage of life, or getting passive-aggressive and giving cold shoulder is probably not going to get you too far. So, leading with the prompt, wouldn't you agree that if we can talk about this through a calm, constructive conversation? It's gonna help both of us. And the third point, as I said, and we both had a laugh over, but very seriously, remember, you're a parent. You're not meant to be perfect. The only perfect people are in the cemetery. Have a growth mindset and remember, you're learning and growing. And the more that you model in earnest that you're learning and growing, the more you're gonna inspire your adult child to do so and feel emotionally safe come to you for support in doing so.
1: Thank you so much. This has been so terrific. I love the way you role-played and gave listeners real tools to use. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us.
0: I'm honored, and I really appreciate you reaching out to me, Denise. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Bernstein. Thanks for reminding us to lead with emotion, lower our voices, and learn to be an emotion coach. As he spoke, I thought, this is kind of hard because we all have our own emotions. We react, but we have to step up and be the adult, calm down, and again, lead with heartfelt emotion. And remember that sign he shared? You couldn't see it, but he talked about it. Try to identify, is your child or you really struggling or are you just choosing not to do something, something to think about? I hope this episode gave you reason to download the app, Intercast, I-N-N-C-A-S-T on Android or Apple. Open a free account and it's your chance to share your thoughts. What did you like that Dr. Bernstein said? Or do you have any additional questions for him? We're happy to ask him to answer any further questions once you've listened. His book, 10 Days to a Less Defiant Child is now available on Amazon or at your local bookstore. It walks you through the steps to really becoming an emotion coach. You can also check out Dr. Bernstein's website at Dr. Jeff Online. That's Dr. D R Jeff, J E F F, online.com. Remember, he's also happy to work with you privately. I can't wait to hear from everyone who downloads Intercast and shares their comments. And remember, continue to support our podcast by logging on to BiteYourTonguePodcast.com. Click on Support and learn an easy way to help us, support us, and keep us producing. Thank you again to Connie Gorant Fisher, our audio engineer. And remember, as always, sometimes you just have to bite your tongue.